The scripture reading for today comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they, have, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, well, good morning. I'm Travis. I'm the pastor here. 
Uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to be with you all uh, today. Uh, happened to be exposed to COVID again uh, last week. So out of precaution, I'm going to be wearing a mask again. So hopefully you all can still hear me. But I'm thankful that one, I don't have COVID. Uh, and two, that I get to be with you all this morning. Uh, we're going to be continuing our series that I've been calling Meeting the Real Jesus. Uh, where we're going through selections from the book of Mark, Mark's gospel, his account of who Jesus was, uh, to talk about who Jesus really is on his own terms. Uh, not just how we like to think of him, maybe not uh, the way that our friends might talk about him or the way that our culture likes to think of him best, but Jesus as he is in his own words, on his own terms. Uh, because we are all prone, whether Christian or not, as we've been talking about, to shrink Jesus down to put him into a box that we're more comfortable with, to kind of shave off some of the rough edges of who he is, some of the ways that he might challenge us that we don't like. And when we do that, we either end up rejecting a Jesus who isn't real, and so we miss out on the God who is, or we put our hope in a God that's too small for the world that we're facing, and we have less than God would hold out for us. So my hope is that through this series, we come to know and to put our faith more and more in the Jesus who was and who is and who is to come. And today we're focusing on a Jesus through this passage who is not just a good teacher, though he is teaching here, but a Jesus who is also, and much more importantly, a savior. It's popular to think of Jesus uh, as just a good teacher. It was popular to think of him that way in his own time. Uh, but if we're really honest with ourselves, when it comes down to it, when we understand what it would mean for Jesus to just be a teacher and not a savior, we realize that that is not enough. Jesus as a teacher is not the Jesus that we want. He is less than the God that we are meant to have. And we're going to talk about why that's too little for us as we go through today. But we're going to look at how Jesus is not just a teacher, but a savior through one of his parables, through this maybe familiar parable for you, the parable of the sower. Uh, and a parable is an important thing to understand as we come to talk about today's passage. As one commentator, R.T. France, explains, a parable is a speech whose meaning does not just lie on the surface. It demands inquiry and insight. And when we finally dig down below the surface to what's truly deeply there, he says that their meaning, parables, when discovered, includes a call to response from our attitudes, wills, and actions. In other words, as France goes on to say, uh, to understand a parable is actually to be changed by it. To understand it is to be changed by it. It is to live differently. And that's my hope for us through this passage. That's Jesus' heart through this parable is not that you would have more information, not that you would know just a little bit more about what God is like, but that you would be changed that you would live differently because of this. And as we'll see, that life change that Jesus intends for us to have is not something that he just teaches us about, but something that we need him to do and that he desires to do for us. It's not just something that we need him to show us. This passage is going to point us to the fact that we need Jesus who is both a teacher and a savior. We're going to do that through looking at just two things, understanding this parable and being changed by it. 
So just those two things, understanding the parable and being changed by it. But before we get into the bulk of our passage, I'd ask you to just bow your heads and pray with me one more time as we ask God to fill up our morning. Father, we bring ourselves before you on this Sunday, which is the day where we remember Pentecost, where you gave us the gift of your Holy Spirit that you would not be a God who is far off, but that you would desire even to live with us, to step into the messiness and brokenness of our lives, to step into the disappointments and the pains, all the ways that we fall off, all the ways that we put our foot in our own mouth. God, you have desired to step in and dwell with us. God, would you bring the amazement of that truth, the goodness of that promise, that because of what Jesus has done, that we might live with you in the fullness, all the fullness that you meant for us to have from before the beginning of the world. Would you do that this morning, not by my power, not by any of our own power, but just by your grace and beauty. It's in the power of your son's name and your Holy Spirit that we ask these things and pray. Amen. Let's start then at understanding the parable. If you have your Bibles or Bible apps, feel free to keep them open. We're going to look at some of the passages or some of the parts of this passage uh, together here. So what's happening? What is Jesus talking about? He is sitting on a boat, talking to a crowd of people, and he starts teaching them in parables, these, these sort of riddles that are meant to cause you to investigate more deeply and to change your life once you understand them. Jesus is talking to them about a farmer, as Lara said, as as about a a person who goes out to sow a crop, who puts seed in the ground. This is a farming illustration. Now, where are we? We are in Cambridge. How many of you farm? Okay, we've got maybe one, all right? So, this is an illustration I'm assuming is not common to many of you, but if we put ourselves in the perspective of Jesus' original audience, an agricultural society some 2,000 years ago, this would have been an illustration that was abundantly clear for them, something that anyone would be able to recognize and understand. And it includes some aspects of farming that people would also be very familiar with in that time. Namely, that not everything you plant grows. Not everything you try to bring about, as maybe some of our gardeners and and farming folks in here might testify to, not everything works out the way that you might want it to. If we look at the sower's first three attempts, things do not start out so well for this farmer. The first three areas that some of the seeds land on, in fact, are a complete failure. Uh, Verse 4, it says, some seed fell along the path. This is not a, a paved asphalt road. This is likely a dirt, compacted, pressed down walking path somewhere around the edge of a field or a property. Okay, and it's somewhere that walking would have happened by people or animals that would have pressed this down, but it's a hard place where seed is not going to take root. And it falls and it's eaten almost right away by the birds. So where is the seed? Gone. Where is the hope for a crop? Gone. Things are not looking good. Verse 5, some other seed fell on rocky ground, which didn't have much soil, and the seed immediately springs up because it's just a shallow amount of soil and it can do that more quickly. But as soon as it gets to be a truly hot season, like summer, the plant withers and dies. Strike two, where is the seed? Gone. Where is the hope for a crop? Gone. Zero. Verse 7, 
Come on, seven. Let's get a little better news. What happens? Some seed falls among thorns. Okay. We're still striking out. Thorns grow up alongside this seed. It grows, but it gets choked out. It doesn't have the opportunity to really flourish. And so again, all the opportunity that we're hoping for, three strikes, it seems like we're out. But verse eight, finally, we get some good news. Some seed lands on good soil and it actually produces a crop. If you're thinking in an agrarian society about what it would mean to have crop failure happen time and time again, to finally hear, okay, things are gonna be all right. There's going to be a crop, there's gonna be a way for us to survive, my family is going to eat, we are going to continue. This would not just be sort of a cute poetic device or a literary device, this is good news to the people listening. It is good news that the kingdom of God would advance. Jesus wants us to associate these things together as he's going to unpack the parable for us. There was not just hope for them of um, a crop well beyond what they might expect. The driving point is for us to see 30, 60, 100 times more than you might be able to imagine. That it's almost as if what happened with the first three failures of seed doesn't count because of all that's happening with this fourth and final seed. So we see that three times things fail, but one time things actually succeed and succeed dramatically. So much so it would be hard to put into words the expectation uh, mismatch between what you thought might happen and what actually comes out of some of the seed that is sown. So we've had our Jesus YouTube video about gardening today the Jesus YouTube channel, be sure to subscribe and like so that your friends can follow it, right? But what, what does this mean, right? What, what is actually happening here? It wasn't any more clear necessarily for them than it is for us without diving deeper. We need someone to uh, explain it. Maybe you felt like this at times. Uh, when I got in to the city last night flying in, I had a little extra time more than I thought because sometimes my flight has been delayed and delayed. But anyway, I got in, I took a little walk and I walked past a diesel brand clothing store. Diesel makes designer fashionable jeans. And on the side of the store, it said diesel for successful living. And I thought, what does that mean? I could see for comfortable living, for stylishly, for six. I said, I need someone to explain this to me. So I went online, I Googled the ad campaign and I found out. I'm still not clear about what it's supposed to mean, but I needed someone to explain it to me, maybe in the same way you might feel, what is Jesus talking about? I need someone to explain this to me. And thankfully, Jesus does that for us. Verse 14 and following, he starts to unpack through the question of his disciples what this parable actually means. What it is when it comes down to it, again, a parable is something of a riddle meant to change your life. This is something of a riddle meant to change your life about who receives the gospel, who doesn't, and what happens when it's actually received. So who receives it, who doesn't, and what happens when it's actually received? Jesus says the gospel is the seed, the word. That's a shorthand way of talking about the gospel. Jesus is the sower of the gospel most clearly in the scriptures. And the different soils, verses 15 to 20, are the different hearts that hear the gospel and respond in different ways. Now, instead of focusing on, at least immediately, the word itself, what's sown, or Jesus as the sower, I want us to, to focus in on where we can probably most easily identify, which is the soil. 
Because if we're finding ourselves somewhere in this passage, somewhere in the metaphor, I, you, we are not Jesus. I, you, we are not the word. We are the soil, the hearts, those that would receive these things. So which soil are we? Jesus says some hearts are hard like the path. And the seed, the gospel, just bounces off of them, in essence, and the birds eat it. He says Satan takes it away, takes the hope away. The gospel is immediately rejected. Some of us are completely closed off to hearing about God. It is something that bounces off of us. It's an immediate rejection. Maybe that's where you are this morning. I'm glad you're here. Jesus was talking to people just like you. He's talking to a broad audience here, not just to those who already believe, but expecting those who don't believe. I hope we can be a church that does the same. There are other hearts that are open to hearing the gospel at first, but when suffering or hardship, what says tribulation, persecution, hard times, when they come, those hearts are stumbled by those things, and it's revealed that their embrace of the gospel was only temporary. They didn't have the roots in Jesus that would let them be anchored in the midst of a storm like that. Some people start in to the gospel and things happen that might pull us away from Jesus. There are other hearts that are open to embracing the gospel, but they embrace the gospel in a divided way. Yes, they are for Jesus, but other commitments, other desires, other goals, other priorities crowd out the gospel and it does not produce a truly changed life. It is a life of competing priorities and commitments. Maybe this is a life that you feel like you lead. Certainly a life that I feel like I lead at times where there are all these things that I feel like I have to get done, I want to get done that are calling out to me and then there's God. And which am I going to really follow? One seems to drag down on my ability to be near with God, to walk with him, to have the life that he means for me to have. But there are other hearts, Jesus says, that are like the good soil. They receive the gospel with joy, and it puts down deep, undivided roots in their life and produces a transformed life that spills over 30, 60, 100 times more than what you could have expected. This soil, this good heart, is where the whole parable drives towards. It moves towards this one kind of heart. The emphasis is on this overwhelming success of the seed that falls on good soil, on what happens when the gospel gets into your life and takes deep root. That's where this whole thing goes. It drives you past, again, failures to the one thing that actually succeeds, the one thing that works. And you can't help but want to get there. Because three seeds fail and three are lost, but one succeeds. You're hungry when you hear this for the success. It's inspiring. It invites us to imitate it. You want that affirmation. You want that praise. We all want that good report card, whether that's from a friend, from someone that we're interested in, from a spouse, from a family member, from an institution, from a job. You want that praise. You want to be that fruitful, bountiful person. Jesus is talking here about those, much like Diesel Brand Jeans is talking about, that have a successful life. 
not in success in the way that the world paints it, but in the way that the gospel paints it, a full, flourishing life, having all that God meant you to have. This is where this parable drives us, to want this kind of life. Jesus tells the parable that way, in a way that clearly makes you want to be the good soil. You may not know why you want to be that. You may not even intellectually want to be that, but there's some part of you in listening to the story that can't help but want that good result. They can't help but want to be the good soil. But what I want us to notice, and what we might easily overlook in the passage, is that none of the soils actually change. No soil becomes like another kind of soil. The path does not become soft. It stays hard. It does what it's natural for it to do. It rejects the seed. The rocky soil doesn't become deep. It stays shallow and only has enough to give a little bit of life. The thorny soil doesn't get its thorns removed. It stays thorny and it chokes out the gospel hope. No soil changes itself to become the good soil, yet Jesus tells you a parable that makes you want to be the good soil. What is going on? All that happens is the good soil produces a good crop and the others don't. This can be both confusing and sobering if you feel yourself to be one of those first three soils that is not the good soil. It can be a sobering realization if you feel yourself completely turned off to God, if you feel yourself to have a hardened heart against the gospel so that the things of God just bounce off of you. It can be sobering if you feel that you've been stumbled by the pain of the world around you, the pain in your life, some of the suffering that you've gone through, some relationships that are broken, some mistakes that you have made. It can be sobering if you feel that you've been choked out by the losses and the disappointments that we've faced just in the past few years. Maybe things that you've lost from school that you wish that you would have had, that you don't get to have that opportunity because COVID came. Maybe things at work, maybe losses of jobs, maybe competing priorities and commitments and the desires of your heart that are pulling you away from God. Maybe you sense more hardness in your heart than softness. And the parable doesn't tell you that that hard heart gets transformed into the good heart. And the reality is, even if we don't feel ourselves to be those hard hearts, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans actually says that no one is naturally the good soil. That on our own, it's as if Jesus is just sowing seeds on soil that will not work out. He says in Romans 3, no one seeks God. No one is righteous. Not one. Not some of us are good soil and some of us are not. But on our own, none of us are good soil. He's saying no one on their own is open to the gospel. No one on their own is really good, fertile ground for being changed by God. The whole of humanity on our own, in Scripture's picture, is just bad soil. And you might say, that's really offensive. I don't like that. I don't like the idea that I would not possibly have the opportunity to change or that I on my own would be automatically bad. But let me just paint a different picture for you for a second. If we set up these categories where there are some people who are just bad soil on their own, but some of us are good soil, what eventually happens is we start to create categories for those who are worthy and deserving of love and care and those who are not worthy of love and deserving care. 
and we start to differentiate and make divides between different kinds of humans that we're willing to have an association with. The gospel doesn't make that divide. This lowering the bar all the way down, which may feel insulting, is actually liberating because there is going to come a point in time when each of us is on the other side of that divide. On some issue, on some aspect of how we live, of how we treat each other, there is always going to come a point where we find ourselves on the other side of that line, on the other side of what society or culture or our thinking tells us is worthy of care, love, and affection. The gospel breaks down those lines that we might all equally be worthy of care, love, and affection. This is not meant to be an insult to you, though it can feel insulting. It's meant to be an equalizer that gives us all an equal opportunity to come before God's grace. None of us are the good soil on our own. None of us get the praise or the result of this teaching on our own. So how can we who are the hardened, shallow, thorny-hearted people come to be hearts that are good soil. Why, why would Jesus tell a parable about being the good soil if there's no opportunity for us to be the thing that he draws us to want? How do we actually change? This is going to bring us to our second consideration, being changed by the parable. How do we break free of our cares, of our competing priorities, of the hardness of our heart? We do that, ironically, through this very parable. Because this parable is not meant to be the final word about you. This is not meant to be Jesus categorizing you, putting you in a box, and leaving you there. Jesus is telling these things. Again, parables are riddles meant to change you, to change your life. Jesus is saying these things that though he may find you there, that he would not leave you there. This parable is meant to change your life. Not just to identify you and leave you there, but to call you into something greater. But here's the thing about why we don't want Jesus to just be a teacher, why we do want him to be something more than that, why we want him to be a savior, because if all Jesus did was teach us about how bad we are and tell us that we need to be good, if all he did was call us to wake up from our hard-heartedness but did nothing to change what we are really like, it would not be enough. Imagine a farmer that goes out to a path to rocky soil or to thorny soil and says, stop being rocky. Stop being thorny. Kids, I know many of us have watched superhero movies or movies from Disney where there are magical powers and things like that. But go outside later today, talk to the ground and see if it does anything. Right? What does teaching do without changing your ability to actually do those things? If anything, it just makes us sad maybe disappointed and depressed that I see that, but I can't bring myself there. I'm looking in the mirror and I'm seeing the same me again. I'm making the same mistakes again. I'm saying the same things to people again. I'm hurting the same people again. Teaching is not enough to change me. I don't need a Jesus who just shows me the way. I need a Jesus who can bring me there too. Something has to be done to make the soil good. 
It has to be changed. The path would have to be torn up in order for it to receive the seed that was sown. The shallow soil would have to be tilled and deepened in order for it to become good soil. The thorny ground would have to be cleared of its thorns and uprooted. Things would have to be done to the soil before it could actually be what it needed to be, before it could receive what it was meant to receive, before it could do what it was meant to do. In other words, someone would have to make the bad soil good so that it could receive the word and flourish. The soil cannot do that for itself. That's what this parable points us to. Both the opportunity for change, the call to change, and the need to be changed by someone that is not you. The path does not change itself. It doesn't make itself soft. The thorny ground does not stop becoming thorny. It needs someone to remove these things. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us here. That's what the wake-up message is from this passage. We cannot change ourselves. It's saying, this is who you are. That's not who I intend to leave you as. But you need someone to change you. And that is exactly what Jesus came to do, to call you to change and to change you, not just to be your teacher, but to be your savior and your friend, to be the one who could do for you what you cannot. He didn't just come to call you out as bad soil and leave you there. Christianity is not just a guilt trip. Yes, there is an offense to it, but that is an offense that is meant to lead you somewhere better, to not leave you as you are found, but to take you somewhere else. We want someone who can do more than tell us we are wrong. If that's what you've understand Christianity to be and you've rejected that, I understand why you would reject that. That's not who Jesus is. That's not what the gospel is telling you. It's not just about calling out the ways that you are not living in accordance with what God would have for you. It's about inviting you to find someone who can do it for you. Someone who can bring you somewhere new. And that's what Jesus did for us at the cross. He didn't just teach. His public execution was not a lecture. It was an action. It was something meant to change us. It was there that he rooted out every thorn in you that would completely choke out your ability to walk with him. It was there that he lifted up every rock in the soil that would eliminate your ability to be deeply rooted in him. It's there that every hard path that would bounce his love away from you was turned upside down. It was his being lifted up on the cross to die for your sins, that he actually dug down deep into the rocky soil of our hearts. That's what changes us. The cross is what changes your relationship to God. It's what changes the soil of your heart. I want to plead with you just for a minute to see the cross as Jesus doing his utmost to change the kind of soil that you are. See him burying his hands in the road, tearing it up, doing all that he can just to get to you. See the pain that he would go through at the cross, the thorns that were put in his own head that he might remove the thorny soil from your hearts, the hardness that he took up, the tribulation, the persecution that he endured, that you might be free from living a life without him, from living a life without the God that you were meant to have for free, not by earning, but by receiving. Digging through all your self-reliance, and pride, 
digging through all your plans and all your rules about how things should work, about how you might accept God or relate to him through all your, your fears and anxieties, all your, your hesitations and uncertainties, ripping it all up with the cross to come and find you. See, Jesus was not waiting for you to teach yourself. He's not waiting for you to bring yourself all the way there, to finally just get it right, to finally have all the facts, to finally have all the information, to get all the arguments, to finally have your heart cleaned up to be the place where it's the good soil. No, he finds you as you are. The cross shows you that he saves you when your heart is still hard. That's what the parable points to that he is how you become the good soil. He is not just what you believe, information. He is how you come to believe in the first place. He is salvation itself. I don't just want you to know more information about Jesus, but to know the Jesus that changes you, that finds you when you are hard-hearted and makes you soft in heart and does these things, not because you deserve it, not because you are ready for it, but just because he desires to just because he is gracious. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know a Jesus that wants to do more than just point the way for you, but to actually tear up the very ground that would separate you from him? Or are you rejecting or even trusting a Jesus who can only show you the way but won't take you there? A Jesus who can't help you with your broken relationships. A Jesus who just expects you to make yourself better before he will love you. Practically, I want to encourage you to lean into this real Jesus that the passage shows us as one who saves, not just as one who teaches us through doing two things as we come to a close here, by acknowledging and by opening up. First, acknowledge that becoming different soil, becoming soft-hearted people before God, open to the gospel, is actually out of our hands. We hate that idea, generally, as a culture, as Americans, that there is nothing for us to do. We always want something to do. We want to have some part to play. We want to have something to show for ourselves, some, some way that it actually rests on us to contribute something, to have control. We want to feel like we're in control. Even if it means we're miserable, we want to feel like we're in control of our own hearts. But that feverish attempt at control over our lives, over our relationship with God, is actually what got us here in the first place. It's where Adam and Eve went wrong and turned the soil into what it is now of our hearts. But the whole of the gospel, the whole of grace, is that we contribute nothing. We control nothing. It's just a gift, a gift we get to receive. I want to call us, the passage calls us to acknowledge that, to let it break up the hardness in our hearts that would have to control. What would it be like instead of having to control to acknowledge that perhaps we're not? Perhaps we can't. Perhaps it's better if we don't control. 
and to just instead receive everything from God, whether we feel ready for it in this moment or not, whether we feel like we can answer for all of our lives and all of our hearts, whether we feel like we can answer all the questions already or not, because the rocky soil, the road, the thorns, they didn't need to be ready to be torn up, and neither do you. All that's necessary is for the sower, for the farmer, for the one who cares for the ground to be ready. The ground is not the one that needs to be ready. Our hearts are not the things that need to be ready. Jesus stands ready, and if he means to have you, he will have you. We're not the sower. Acknowledge that he is, and look at the cross and see just how much he wants to make you into something beautiful and that it doesn't depend on you for you to have that. And finally, open up. What does the good soil do? The soil that Christ makes you to be, again, not that we are on our own, what does the good soil do in this passage? It receives what the sower gives. It just opens up and lets God work. So I want to encourage you Open up your life to what God may want to do in it. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, it says, the fruit of the Spirit, well, we could say the gospel produces, the fruit of the Spirit, what it produces in our lives is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's Galatians 5, 22. I want to encourage you this morning, look at that verse today. Write it down for yourself, make a reminder for yourself, come back to it later and ask, where is God opening me up to more of one of those things? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control. You don't have to think too deeply. The Spirit will put it on your heart. Maybe ask one person you know well, what of this list Do you think God is opening me up more to? Do you think God is calling me to more of? And then ask God to open you up where you feel hopelessly shut off to that thing, where you feel like you're the path, the rocky soil, or the thorny soil. Because again, you don't have to be ready and able for him to do it. He can just do it. He makes a way in his own time. And if he would not just tell you a parable, but die to save you, won't he care for the soil of your heart now? Won't he open you up to a greater fruitfulness in your faith now? Won't he give you fruitfulness for the first time? Won't he open up your heart that feels hard and closed off? Just open for a moment and just have 5% more willingness to see what God might do in your life. I'm not asking you to go from zero to 100 today, but 5% more. What would it look like to be 5% more open to the love of God, to God's joy, to his patience, to the self-control and gentleness of God? God can still make you soft ground. Let's pray that he would. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we thank you for not just telling us to change, but for actually changing us in your son, Jesus. Thank you for the ways that you have broken up the hard, thorny thorny ground of our hearts, the way that you have made us soft-hearted people, that you do that even when we're not ready for it, even when we don't feel ourselves up to it, God. You do these things. Yet we confess all the ways that we still want to control, 
that we want to contribute something, that we insist on having something to offer you, that we insist on trying to change ourselves instead of just letting you do it. So we ask that you would open us up to the fruit of the Spirit now, that you would give us changed hearts, that you would give us new eyes to see the ways that you might lead us into the fullness of who you are. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen.